On the marquee out in front of the church, the words read, When the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world will know peace. What kind of love is powerful enough to overcome that hunger in people to have power? What kind of love could actually produce peace? Is there such a thing or is it just some words on the sign? A nice notion. The power of love. Love is such a big word. Last week here in our pulpit, the Southwestern Unitarian Universalist District Executive, Reverend Susan Smith, um, read for us the love chapter from the Christian Testament, the First Corinthians 13. And in it, there's this description of love that's anything but sentimental. It asks a lot. Our um, first hymn this morning, Though I May Speak with Bravest Fire, was kind of a revisitation of that. By any normal means, such an ideal love or such a standard seems to be beyond our capacity to achieve. It's superlative. It's perfection. It seems unjaded by the world or unaffected in a negative way, not slowed down or stopped. Rolling all of this over in my mind this week, I began to think about other things that I was taught as a child growing up in uh, a local Baptist church. There was the idea that God is love. There were discussions about the three Greek words for love, philia for familial or or, uh, brotherly love, like Philadelphia. Eros for romantic love, and agape for the love that is represent, represented divine, unconditional, unselfish, thoughtful love. Of course, the agape kind was the one that became the focus of the sermons all the time. They went through this description to get to just that one kind that uh, is the hardest to imagine or to live. But beyond that, I kept running into these ideas that were recurrent through the uh, Christian scriptures of being supposed to love God with all your heart and mind and soul and might. All three of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, refer to that. In Deuteronomy, from the Pentateuch or Torah, we read that again. And even in um, the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, Give me your whole heart, love and adore me, 
Worship me always and you shall find me. This I promise. I began to wonder, what does that mean? What does it mean to give your heart and soul and spirit to something that can only be seen or heard vicariously? To something for which if we have feelings at all, Usually they're beyond our ability to describe or find words for. I don't know that I have exactly the answer to what that means, but the fact that it shows up in a lot of religious traditions made me think that, okay, there's got to be a way to translate this into Unitarian Universalism. And as I tried to do that, I found that it got really awkward. Um, And so if you don't mind, I would ask that you look in the back of your hymnals once again at a responsive reading, number 639. And in the spirit of inclusion... Please read that with me. Let us love one another because love is from God. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God and God abides in them. There is no fear in love, for perfect love casts out fear. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers and sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. No one has ever seen God If we love one another, God lives in us. Okay, if we set aside all the anthropomorphic notions of deity that that calls up for us or or that we find in those passages and think simply of love as one essential part of the spirit of life that animates all of us, If we operate under the assumption that all things are part of the sacred, including all people, then creating peace among us might be more readily accomplished by stirring those things that we hold in common, right? Building from that common ground. Creating a practice for myself by which I can learn to respond even a little more lovingly to those who might otherwise pull me out of my loving center gives me an opportunity to grow in ways of peace. 
and cultivate greater capacity for loving the world. From there, I have more of a chance to participate in generating the power of love that overcomes the love of power. I let things pull me off center a lot. I know none of you do that. But I want to learn how to stay balanced. I want to learn what it's like to live in that loving kindness for the world. I absolutely believe that from that space, everything else we do is more effective and also requires less effort to be effective. When I was rolling all this around, suddenly yesterday, a woman came to mind that I knew years ago. She was a tough woman and lived by a code that was rather foreign to me. By the time her son was 10 years old, she had already taught him how to steal successfully without getting caught. And as best I can gather, they lived pretty much by their wits, which under any circumstances would be a difficult thing to do. But one day she was talking to a group of people and telling the story of being going down the road on her Harley and a car almost ran her off the road. Her response to this was, I surround you with love, expletive, expletive. (laughs) In that practice, she was not denying how she felt, but she was making an effort to do something to move those feelings into a positive, productive energy rather than the that I'm sure was her initial response. She taught me something that it does me well to remember. It's not a hard thing to do, is it? It might be a hard thing to remember in the moment. But the more we do something like that, the more of a habit it becomes, right? And the little steps start making new habits, right? The late Celtic scholar and philosopher John O'Donohue wrote, You can search far and in hungry places for love. It's a great consolation to know that there is a wellspring of love within yourself. If you trust that this wellspring is there, you will then be able to invite it to awaken. I have an Asian friend who has an amazingly green thumb. Uh, At our house, we had several plants on the back porch that were, for all signs, dead. And she broke up pieces of them, stuck them back in the ground, and said, Wake up. I love you. 
The plants are in better shape now than they were when we got them. Every time she comes over, she speaks to them the same way. You know, the secret life of plants years ago was telling us what kind of effect talking to plants had. But what, what that made me think is that you know, we com- we're so complex and we complicate things so much. Maybe it's just that simple, but we complicate the waking up. Maybe it's just as simple as inviting ourselves to wake up and trusting that it can happen. Scott Peck wrote, love is not a feeling, love is an action, an activity. Genuine love implies commitment and exercise of wisdom. Love is the will to extend the will to extend oneself for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another's spiritual growth. True love is an act of will that often transcends ephemeral feelings of love or cathexis. It is correct to say love is as love does. I think loving God, whatever we understand God to be, is doing all we can to become love and act from love in the world the superlative forms of which we can develop toward as long as we live. From adoration springs devotion. From devotion springs action. And from action springs change. As we continue to grow in our ability to wish love for all beings, to wish love for all beings, our actions will become more effective. How can they not? As Emerson said, the effect of every action is measured by the depth of the sentiment from which it proceeds. Place yourself in the middle of the stream of power and wisdom which animates all at whom it floats, And you are without effort impelled to truth, to right, and perfect contentment. The more love we cultivate within ourselves, the more we can act from love in the world. Only great love can accomplish great things.